let's pray. Father, uh, we do thank you once again that we can gather here, that Lord, here we are and we're, we're uh, in the midst of some crazy stuff in our world, and uh, yet, God, you are consistent. You stay the same. And I thank you that we can assemble together to worship you. We can lift up our hearts in song, and, and Lord, now we can even lift up our hearts as we're in your word. And I pray that as we look at different individuals who, who exercise faith, who exercise that trust in you, that God, it would just draw us closer to you. That, Lord, we would have that understanding that, Lord, you want to be involved in every single one of our lives. That we just have to open ourselves up. So I pray, God, that you would bless this time, that you would encourage each one of us, strengthen us. Lord, no matter what's going on in our lives or in our families, that you would strengthen us to walk with you. And, Lord, we do give you this time, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we continue here looking in, in uh, I was going to say in, he, in, you know, I was going to say in Ephesians, but in Hebrews, and we're looking at people of faith. And the thing I always want to emphasize is that we need to understand these weren't like superhumans. They didn't get some special thing that the rest of the world didn't get. Here's what the difference between them and a lot of us is. They trusted God. That's it. They're just people who are doing life, who had an opportunity to exercise some trust in God. That's what faith is, right? And they're trusting God. And the author of Hebrews said, hey, I'm going to write about a few of these people to encourage those he's writing to. Remember, he's writing to some Hebrew Christians that are struggling, that the world is coming against, that it's a tough time, and he's trying to encourage them. And now today, God is trying to encourage us where we're at. And we need to understand we can exercise that same trust because we have the same exact God. All we have to do is open ourselves up for that. And I know, listen, I know some people go, you just make it oversimplistic. It's not that simple. I really believe it is because I'm a simple guy. Hey, I'm from Bisbee. Come on, man. If I can get this, anybody can get this, right? So, so listen, it's just, a fa it's just a matter of fact of saying, I am going to trust God. I'm going to put my faith in God. And then, listen, and then just walk in that. So today we're going to begin with uh, uh, one guy and, and uh, Enoch. And there's not, listen, there's not a lot. We'll talk about him in a minute. And then we're going to move to Noah. Now, almost, here's what's, uh, here's what's odd to me about the way uh, the author of Hebrews puts this together. Is he brings up one guy that's hardly anybody knows anything about. And, you know, if you've read your Bible, you read about him, but there's very little information. He brings him up and upholds him as a, as a great standard of faith. And then he brings up this other guy that everybody knows about, right? Even heathens, even people who want nothing to do with God have heard about Noah. So it's interesting he brings these kind of two diverse people to us as examples of faith. So Enoch, let's look at Enoch and... and uh, and kind of talk about him a little bit. So verse five says, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him for, behold, for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, listen, here's, here's what's fascinating to me. Not a lot, right? 
But this guy ends up in the hall of faith and what is said about him, I believe, listen, I believe if you're a believer, this is like one of your prayers. Don't you want it to be said that you were a person that, what did it say? He left a testimony that what? That he pleased God. I believe, listen, I believe if you're truly born again, that's all you want. That's all you want. You want people, you don't even care if they remember your name as long as they say, yeah, that one. I remember that one. He wanted to please God. I think that's incredible. And again, we don't have a lot about him, but what we do have about him is pretty profound. I'm gonna go back. You can, you can go to Genesis if you want. I'm gonna go to Genesis real quick. I just wanna read, because there's only a couple verses about him. So I wanna read what it says to kind of fill in what the author of Hebrews doesn't tell us. So it starts in Genesis 5.21. Here's what it says. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That's it. That's all we know about him. Now, listen, some people get, some people get sidetracked because they go, well, he did, you know, he did have the person, he, you know, his son is the, lived the longest of anybody. Well, that doesn't mean, who cares about that? But you know what sort of blows my mind is the fact he lived 365 years. So, you know, just think about, think about things he saw and changes he saw. And it's sort of implied that he didn't walk with God till Methuselah was born. So for his first 65 years, it's sort of there. And then it says after, listen, he lived for 65 years, then he begot his son Methuselah, and then he walked with God. So, you know, sometimes kids will cause that in your life, right? In a good way, not in a bad way. Some of you are going, oh yeah, my prayer life is, no, we're not talking about that. But the fact, listen, then he walked with God for 300 years. Think about that. Just think about that just for a moment. I've walked with God 37, 38 years. And I've had ups and downs and struggles and different things. 300 years? Maintaining a relationship with God for 300 years? Every time I read that, I think, that is a, that's mind-boggling, right? And you can read for homework, like I know a lot of people last night kept reading all of the genealogies and they started doing some math stuff and stuff. Just stop, don't read, do it for homework. But get into it, but read chapter five. Well, you can, and most of you are not gonna do that, I know, because it's genealogies. So read chapter four, skip chapter five, and read chapter six, seven, and eight, and here's what you're gonna find out. He didn't live in a glorious time. He didn't live in a time where everybody was happy and everybody, he lived in a very, very difficult time. And yet he still maintained this relationship and maintained the closeness with God. I think it was, I think two things moved in his life. And I think it, it's in a lot of our lives if we just kind of let it out. Number one, he had that desire to please God. That's good. We should have that desire. Listen, and that comes from faith. We're not, listen, his whole righteousness thing isn't because he had got righteous and then had faith. Faith produced the righteousness. Faith produced his walk with God. So he wanted to please God, and then he was diligent in seeking after God, I believe, the way it's said. And then I love it. It's like he walked with God. It's like he went out for a walk one day and never came home. 
And it's implied in all of this, listen, go back to Hebrews, it's implied in all of it that it was like he, he just went for a walk and kept on walking, I guess, and, and you know, and then he found himself in the presence of God, and whether you read Genesis or the Hebrews account, it seems like there wasn't a big change when he went into the presence of God. Shouldn't that be the testimony of all of us? Shouldn't we have such a close relationship, fellowship with God, that there's not a great change when we come into his presence, whether it's through death or whether he comes back for us? We shouldn't, listen, we, I'm hoping, man, that we don't get shocked when Jesus shows up, whether he shows up again for everybody or just shows up for us personally. So in that, when we think about that, what does it take? Amos, Amos the prophet said, two cannot walk together unless they agree. So what does it take to walk with God? Well, I think a couple of things. In the first place, if you're gonna walk with God, you both have to be going in this, to the same place, right? You gotta be moving kind of, quote, in the same direction. Then you both gotta be on the same path. You can't be on a path over here and on a path over there and walk with somebody. And then the last thing is you kinda gotta go at the same pace. That's the hard thing for some of us. For some of us, we get way behind God. And then for some of us, the overachievers, the people with ADD, the people that have all the problems, we get so far ahead of God that you know sometimes he's gotta run and tackle us to keep us from doing dumb things. So, but here he is. And think about that in your life. Are you maintaining that whole idea of you're going to the same place, you're on the same path, maybe you have to slow down or speed up to stay at the same, same pace, and that's what you're doing. Now, in, uh, in Jude, the author of Jude quotes Enoch. I wanna read it because, listen, a lot of people mess this up. So here's, here's a, a clue also into who he was. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, this is Jude 14 and 15. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone, to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That's a prophecy. Now, uh, just a little side note. A lot of people, a lot of people, when they read Paul, or I'm sorry, Jude quoting Enoch, they say Jude was quoting from the book of Enoch. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say the book of Enoch, because the book of Enoch is, is one of those writings that's a pseudo-epigrapha. In other words, Enoch didn't write it. Somebody wrote the book and claimed the name of Enoch. Enoch didn't write the book of Enoch. It's and it's not an acceptable writing. Listen, and the author of Jude does not say, from the book of Enoch, what does he say? Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. Now, I know this prophecy is in the book of Enoch because I think the book of Enoch copied Jude, not Jude copying them. And, but I do believe Enoch prophesied this. How did Jude know? I don't know. God revealed to him what Enoch had prophesied. It wasn't like he was around, right? But he gives us this quote, but I want us to think about something. Obviously, Enoch was living in a difficult time, right? Because according to this prophecy, there wasn't a whole lot of good around him. 
And he was saying that God was coming with thousands of his holy ones. I'm not sure that was so much a prediction. I think it has a dual fulfillment. I'm not so sure it was just a fulfillment for when Jesus comes back. What happened right after Enoch? Well, several hundred years after Enoch. What was the next major biblical event after Enoch? The flood. The destruction. And what does Enoch say? God is going to come and take care of those evil people of those who spoke harshly, of those who were evil to everyone. And he spoke that out. And here's what I believe. I don't believe his ministry was that effective. I don't think he was that successful because when I read Genesis chapter six, it says everyone was as evil as they could be, basically, right? Every intent of their heart was evil. Every thought they had was evil. And God said, I'm done. So we'll get to that when we get to Noah. But think about, think about that. Enoch, and here's what, you and I need to gain from that. As we serve the Lord, it's not so important to be successful or effective. And I think all of us, I understand, wanting to be effective, wanting to affect lives. That's, a, you know, that's what I want to do. But the main focus needs to be faithfulness. Be faithful to what God has shown you in spite of the outcome. In spite of what happens, do what God has shown you to do. Read the Old Testament prophets. Which one of them had, to, had great ministry where thousands upon thousands flocked to hear them? Crickets. None of them, right? Whether we're talking about Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. They, listen, those guys, I don't even know if those guys even had one convert, much less thousands. So here's the thing. It's not necessarily, and get this right, I'm not saying that you shouldn't desire to be effective, but it's not your effectiveness that matters. What matters is your faithfulness, that you're faithful to what God has shown you. So that's Enoch and his faithfulness and his desiring and, and uh, uh, wanting to please God and wanting to work with God. So listen, listen to what, now he goes right into verse six, and here's what I find fascinating, is that a lot of people think verse six is kinda, you know, like really switches gears and changes and has nothing to do. I think it has everything to do with what he just said about Enoch. Listen to what he says in verse six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. You might underline that. He doesn't say without faith it's hard to please him. He doesn't say without faith it's difficult to please him. He says without faith it is impossible to please God. God requires from you and I to walk by faith. And here's what it means, to trust him. So without faith it is impossible to, ple uh, to please him. For he who comes to God must first of all believe that he is and secondly, believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I think he's, I, listen, I think he's still got Enoch in mind. And so first of all, first of all, here's what he says. You gotta believe that God is. Now, some people will say, well, I believe in God. Not a generic kind of make believe whatever you want God to be God. You have to believe that the God of the Bible is. The God who's revealed in scripture, you have to believe that he exists. First of all, listen, if you're gonna walk by faith, you gotta believe that. You gotta come to that place. And hey, I've talked to, I talk to a lot of people, they believe in a generic God, even people who go to church. Yeah, I believe in God, 
Do you believe in the God of the Bible? Do you believe in the God who's revealed in the Old Testament? Do you believe in the God who's revealed in the New Testament? Do you believe that that's the same God? Do you believe there's, there's a, a trinity? We could go on and on. Listen, you have to believe that he is, number one, and that's kind of like basic Christianity, right? That's like Christianity 101. Then you have to believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you're gonna walk my faith, that's gotta be somewhere in your heart. You have, to, you have to grab a hold of that and understand, and let me put it a different way. F.F. Bruce says it this way. He says that you, you have to believe that God is, and again, I think a lot of us here believe that, but here's where we fall short. You have to believe that he cares. Oh. You see, God cares about your life. And I know, listen, I know we go through circumstances, we go through some situations, and we think God lost us, right? We think like he's off doing something else, and nope, he's right there. I believe every single thing that goes on in our lives, God is involved in. I don't believe we always recognize that and accept that and understand that, but I believe he's involved. And listen, you got to understand, if you're going to walk by faith, you gotta know that God cares. That's gotta be deep ingrained in your heart. You wanna walk with God for 300 years? I don't think most of us are gonna live that long, but if you wanna walk with God for 300 years, you gotta believe that he is, and you gotta believe that he cares about you. In my 30 plus years, 37, 38 years that I've walked with God, here's, here's what I have learned. He never leaves me, never forsakes me. Oh, I may not recognize it at times and I may feel deserted and I may feel cheated and I may feel left out, but he's always, and all I have to do is bow, bow my heart and there he is. I've never had God say, dude, I'm busy right now. I'm trying to keep the world together. He's always there. So that's Enoch. That's this guy who was with the Lord for, you know, for 300 years. Oh, something to think about that's kind of fun. You could do do it with Noah. You could do it with Enoch. When I think about 365 years, listen, he's kind of one of the youngsters, right? He's kind of one of the babes. But just think about this. What if Enoch was born in 1700? Think about where the world was, and let's just use our country because we're real ethnocentric here, so let's think about our country. Where, where was the United States of America in you know, the 1700s? We're just about to get birth, right? Things are starting to happen. Think about this. When he was 76 years old, he would have been at the signing of the Declaration of Independence. That's kind of bizarre, right? And then check this out. He would have gone through everything, and today, he would still be alive and have a few years left, right? It's 1,700, 365 years. So he's, still got, he's still got like 65 years to go or, well, a little less. He's got 35, 34 years. That's, that's bizarre. As you start thinking about it, I know the math is not good, 45. But anyway, I wanted to fix it for some of you are going. <laughs> the math isn't important, but think about, think about those dramatic changes over that span of time and think about his life and how things changed. And here's my point. None of that stuff tangled him up. He stayed faithful to God. Now some of you go, but he didn't go through what, come on. Things changed radically from the time he was born till the time he went and took off with God, right? Now one more thing. 
I always get worried about Mrs. Enoch. Sorry, I just got to think about her, man. I think about he went one day and he never came home. Like, that would be bizarre, right? Methuselah, mom, where did dad go? Don't know, he went for a walk. It's kind of weird. So anyway, anyway, that's enough about Enoch, right? So we kind of got him, got you guys thinking about him and understanding that you have a God who exists and you have a God that loves you and cares about you. Now we come to probably one of the most famous people in, in the Bible. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of, of his household, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Wow. Again, kind of from the other people that we read about, sort of brief compared to what's written about him in the Old Testament. Hey, you start in, ver you start in verse six. Start in chapter six of Genesis. You got six, seven, eight. You get a lot of information. Listen, you got a long time. We hang out with, with Noah probably, you know, longer than, especially the people of the, you know, quote, antediluvian, the people before the flood. Like we go through generation, boom, boom, boom. Then we get to Noah, and it's more Noah, and it's more Noah. So listen, as we think about him, this guy, author of Hebrews, gives him one chapter, but he says a whole bunch. In verse one of chapter 11, what did the author of Hebrews say? He explained faith, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence or the, the conviction, I like, of things not seen, right? And then what does he say about Noah? Listen to what he says once again about Noah. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not seen. Oh, hey, faith is a reality. That definition is a reality. I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe when before the flood, I don't believe it had rained. I don't believe it had flooded. I don't believe those things had taken place. That's just, again, the way I believe you can believe whatever you want and put together whatever you want. But it says here, he was warned about things not seen. Now, we might just take it to this degree. Noah was warned about a worldwide flood that was going to take place. Now, in chapter six begins with man, every intent of men's heart was evil. Enoch had been ministering, nothing happened. I think Methuselah did some ministering. Noah's 600 years old, nothing happened. So you have this long time span. Now, let's think about Noah for a moment because God came to Noah and said, I'm gonna destroy the world. And I want you to build this boat. I personally think Noah's thinking, I don't know what a boat is. And God says, it's okay, I got this covered. I'll give you the blueprints. But putting all that together, but it says man was as evil as man could ever be. I think we live in a dark time. I think we live in an evil time but I gotta believe it was worse than Noah's day. And some of you are going, come on, it's gotta be. Because he said every intent, listen, God destroyed, and God says, I'm done, I'm finished. He hasn't said that with our generation, has he? Not yet. 
But he says that, and he says, I'm done. And then he tells Noah to do something. Now, here's what I get a picture of in my mind. It's like Noah is the only one who's wanting to walk with God. And he gets this divine warning, and I don't believe God came down and talked to him physically. Maybe he did. I just don't, don't see that. But God gave him this whole idea of building this, this boat, saving things, etc. Well, let's put it in today. Let's, let's just bring it to us. Because you talk about a guy that had incredible faith. What if God showed up at your house tonight? What if he even appeared like in a physical form? And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build a rocket. And I want you to build a rocket so you can get X number of things in there. I want you to take care of it. What would our first, what would our first thing be? I don't know how to build a rocket. Do I look like a rocket scientist? And then, listen, God would say, it's okay, I've got the plans. I'll take care of it. I got it. All you gotta do is build it. All you gotta do is do what I tell you to do. What would our next thing be? I believe it would be this. I don't have time. That's a big ask, God. That's a huge ask. You want me? Do you know who I am? You want me to do that? Wouldn't, come on, come on, let's be gut check honest. Wouldn't we start arguing with God, quibbling a little bit with God? telling him that you got the wrong guy, you maybe should pick someone else, you should do this. What blows my mind is there's none of that that goes on in Noah. And again, I think we kind of, I think we oversimplify, over coming from the simple guy, the whole dynamic that went down between Noah and God and Noah and the world and Noah and the things he had to do, man. I can't imagine right now getting in my backyard and starting to build a humongous spaceship, right? And telling people, come by, people in my neighborhood, my neighbors, dude, what on earth are you doing? Building a rocket. Who do you think you are? I'm Noah. Building a rocket. Why are you building a rocket? Because God told me to build a rocket. Oh, you goofball. We kind of always knew you were a little strange. But that is like the weirdest thing ever. You really think that's going to work? I'm walking by faith, man. God said to build this rocket. I'm going to build this rocket. Now does it make a little bit more sense? And so he, listen, he constructs this boat. And, and you know, we're, we're blessed today. Hey, today? You can go to Kentucky and get a replica of the ark. You can go look at it. You can go walk through it. You can kind of measure. You can kind of get an idea of, of how, how big it was and what it looked like. You know, Ken Ham's ministry built a replica. So you can go do that. That's kind of interesting to me that we can. I haven't done that. I, I want to go do that. But listen, you can go check that out. And here's the thing. It's humongous. Just, you know, 96,000 square feet. Think about, think about, you know, doing projects, and especially if you're any kind of builder, 96,000 square feet. And what is it, 1.3 million cubic feet? The equivalent of 500 boxcars. Just think about that way. And this is like you're going... And here's this guy, I don't know what he used. I don't know how many people helped him. I don't know if he had a handsaw and a hammer and you know, he's just working away. It took him 120 years, so it took some time. But here he is and he's building this thing. And then what blows my mind is you know, shipbuilding people, naval experts or whatever they are, ship guys, I don't know what you call them. I'm from the desert. They say, and here's what's fascinating, they say everything about the ark 
all of the dimensions and the way it's put together, the way it's built, is the best engineering for stability as far as ships go or boats or whatever you want to call them. Best engineering, best design ever for stability, worst design ever for steering. Isn't that fascinating? Why was it horrible for steering? He didn't need to steer the thing. He just needed to stay floating, right? The whole idea was not about where you're going. The whole idea is staying above water and making sure that happened. Who was steering the boat? God, yeah. So he didn't have to worry about that. Always, those kind of things always fascinate me when you know, experts get involved and they go, we don't understand. And it's like, it's because you don't believe the Bible. So Noah built this thing, enough about you know, focusing on the ark. Oh, one more thing. Do you know that every single culture, just about, I haven't been to every culture, but I've read a lot. Do you know that almost every single culture has a flood story? That's interesting to me. Even the ones that are so remote, nobody's talked to them for centuries, they have a flood story. And some, most of them are really messed up because it wasn't written down for them like we have the Bible written down. And so it's passed on verbally from generation to generation. And by the time it gets, you know, like down to us, it's so, such a messed up story. But here's the other fascinating thing. A few tribal people that I've been involved with, here's what's funny to me. They think they were the ones who were saved in the ark and they think they're the people. It's always interesting, when, when we worked with the Tarahumaras in, in Mexico, just in the Sierra Madre Mountains, not far away, but pretty isolated, their name, here's what their name means in their language, the people. They think they're everything and everybody else is to serve them because they were saved in the flood, because they were saved for this pur purpose. And again, read missionary stories, read about people who have gone to remote areas, and, and almost the same things repeated time after time after time. You know what that tells me? There was a flood. And I believe the flood was worldwide. I don't think it was just in Mesopotamia, just a little thing, I think it was worldwide. So we have this flood. Now, here's what the Bible tells us, that Noah, being divinely warned of the things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Now, the godly fear might be, might be kind of a difficult, hard translation. I believe, listen, I believe another way to put it is moved, with, with, uh, moved in reverence to build the ark. Listen, I don't think he built the ark like, oh, I'm scared to death, I gotta get this thing done. If you ever hear Bill Cosby's rendition of the ark and Noah, you'll know what I'm talking about. Listen, I don't think he was doing that. I think he's just like, God told me to build this thing. I, I, you know, I have a reverence for God. I'm gonna build this thing. Neighbors come by, dude, what are you doing? I'm building a boat. Noah, there's nothing to float it on. Like, I think they had the ocean, but I don't think he was close to the ocean. And I'm thinking, Noah, why would you build a boat when we don't have an ocean? How are you going to get that thing to the ocean? <clears throat> the ocean's coming to me. There's going to be a flood. We're going to be judged. 120 years. This is what's going to happen. We're going to be judged. Oh, Noah, you crackpot. You know, I don't believe that's happening. How could you come up with something? What a bizarre thing to talk. Water's going to come here. It's going to flood us all. I don't think so, man. Just go ahead and build your You know what? Entertain yourself. 
Go ahead, make believe, don't live in reality, go ahead and do it. And away he works. Can you imagine that for 120 years? Would you quit? I think if all of us are gut check on us, we'd quit. We'd get tired of the hassle. Your, rocket, your rocket's halfway up and in your backyard, and it's like, what was that? Well, God told me to do this, and I kind of fizzled. I didn't think, you know, I trusted and believed more in man than I did in God. So Noah keeps going, keeps going. And then what was one of the motivating things? Here's what I love, to save his family. Noah cared about his family. Now, I have read Genesis 6, 7, and 8 recently. Some of you quit in chapter 5. But it always blows my mind that his sons and daughters-in-law got in a boat. I love that idea. I love that. Listen, he had, at least he maintained his testimony with them. What burdens my heart is no one else got in a boat. Every single person, I believe, around Noah had the same amount of light as Noah had. All they had to do is act on it. You know, sometimes I'll say, we don't need more faith, we just need a bigger God. And I believe that's true. We just need to understand the God of the Bible. I'm not saying the God of the Bible is not sufficient. I'm saying in our minds, he's not the God of the Bible. And how about this? I think we need, I don't think we need, uh, you know, quote, uh, uh, just a revelation of God. I think we have to have a greater revelation. Once again, not new and different. We need to read the Bible and believe the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, the God who did all of these miraculous things is the same God we serve today. And I believe Noah had that. Listen, he had six chapters. He could read the Bible in a year every day, right? He didn't have a lot of light. And he's trusting God and he's going forward and he's doing it. And part of it was God said he's going to destroy this place. Sound familiar? And he built an ark for the saving of his family. And that same ark that saved his family condemned the world around him. How did that happen? Well, they made fun of it. They mocked it. They looked at it and they didn't accept what he was doing. What about you and your rocket ship? How's it going? Are we people who, that we really believe that Jesus is coming back? I believe he's coming back. Once again, I've told you guys the story. I was raised in a, you know, very, very religious. I was raised in the Orthodox Church, a lot of religiosity, very little Jesus. And I never knew Jesus was coming back till I got saved. I was pretty torqued. Like, I think that's an important thing to let people in on. I mean, you know what? If you're embarrassed about witnessing about everything else, at least tell people you need to know something. Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back to judge. Now, when we think about Noah and think about what's going on in 2 Peter, I want to just challenge you to read the whole context. I'm not going to read the whole context, but 2 Peter's talking about the coming of the Lord. And then in the middle of that, here's what he says. And God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Jesus is coming back to judge. Do you know that? How's your rocket? Well, Pat, I haven't even started yet. Why not? You don't care about your neighbors? You don't care about the people around you? 
Jesus is coming back. Hey, you start building a rocket in your backyard, people are gonna start asking you what you're doing. And then you can start witnessing to them, Jesus is coming back. What are you, a looney tune? No, my pastor just said I need to build a rocket in my backyard so I could witness to people, so I'm gonna build a rocket. You don't have to build a rocket. But how is your testimony? How is your witness to the world? You see, because I think if we really believe he's coming back, we need to be people who are warning the world that judgment is coming. And I have read judgment is coming. And people go, he said he would never destroy the world. Nope, that's not what he said. He said he would never destroy the world by flood. Never said he wouldn't destroy. And, and oh, this is one that irks me. And God said, I'm not gonna destroy the world by water, by flood again, and here's my sign, a rainbow. And then it gets ripped off from Christians. I think we should start a movement. Take back the rainbow. I think we should just do stuff. I, I was saying, what if we all started wearing rainbows and started doing it? And I know some of you are going, dude, I am not doing that. <laughs> I get it, but listen, man, it's ours. It's, it's biblical. It's not theirs. So, anyway, sorry about that. That's a rant. Let's come back. We will have rainbow pins in the lobby. No. <laughs> but he's coming back. Are you warning people? He's going to judge his place. And it's gonna get real ugly real fast. People ask me often now with what's going on, are we, are we in you know, end times? No. I think we're closer to the end times than we were, I mean, in that sense. But we're not, listen, we haven't started the tribulation yet. When people say that, read the book of Revelation. One third of the population is wiped out in an instant. That's not happening yet. So just, hey, I think, I think there's some good signs and I think it's showing us how quickly the world can change. But you know, don't get caught up in some of this conspiracy, some of this stuff going on. You know, I think it can ruin you. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus and look for him. But greater than that, tell your neighbor that Jesus is coming back. Tell your coworkers that he's coming back. Be a Noah. Here's the thing, what did Noah do? He invested all of his time, I believe all of his finances, I believe you know, all of his will and energy into one thing, what? Building an ark. Are you willing to do that? To let the world know that Jesus is coming back? He was letting his world know and trust me, his world was way uglier than our world, and he's doing it. Jesus says, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days of Noah, before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, I know some of you read that passage and go, that's why I'm not doing anything, because no, we have a responsibility. All of us are Noah's. We have a responsibility to our world, our generation, to let them know Jesus is coming back, and they need to be in the right place. And that message will save some, and it will condemn others. 
the effectiveness of the message, the success of the message is not up to you. You're just the messenger. Noah built a boat. Nobody listened to him. Nobody cared about what he said. They all hassled him, harassed him until the flood came. And then as that flood is getting higher and higher, trust me, they believe Noah. It's too late. Saints, let's take this responsibility seriously. And let's be, let's all be a bunch of Noahs. Let's go build some rockets. And let our community know Jesus is coming back. And the only way to escape judgment is to give your heart to Jesus and know him. And you will escape judgment. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you again, God, just for the challenge we see in these two guys. We look at, we look at uh, Enoch and understand, here's a, guy, here's a guy who had a desire to walk with God, a desire to please God, and he had that intimate fellowship. It was such an intimate fellowship that he just walked right into heaven, so to speak. And God, I, I just, I know that the majority of us in here, man, that's, that's what we desire. We want to be so close to you that we just walk right into heaven. And we have that example of faith and yet living in an ungodly world. And then we have Noah, the guy who, man, did some incredible things in the midst of incredible darkness. I think darkness that we have no idea what it's like. And yet, Lord, you made him that one bright, shining light. And I look in this room and I know there's a bunch of shining lights, not just one. A couple hundred shining lights. Let us go out and light up the world and let people know there is, there is a danger coming. It's not political, it's not financial, it's not weather related, that there's a judgment coming that they need to understand. And God, use us in our generation. I'm gonna ask you to stay in the attitude of prayer for just a little bit longer and maybe you're here today and you're hearing this and God is touching your heart and, and listen, as I'm sharing, you're at that place where you're going, man, I, I haven't even taken that, that baby step of faith. I, I haven't trusted God. Well, you know what? If I'm speaking to you the, this morning, then you know what? Take that step. Let God know that you know you're a sinner. Let God know that you know you need to be saved from your sin. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to come into your life. And if you do that, if you do that, he will answer that prayer. And I want to encourage you to do that. And I don't care, you know, listen, I don't care if you've come to this church for 15 years. If God is speaking to your heart this morning and, and you know it, then, then you know what? Make that commitment. Maybe you're visiting this morning. Maybe somebody asked you, maybe a friend or a neighbor asked you to come and you're here and you're hearing this message and maybe it's even a little bit foreign to you. Well, you know what? 
It's foreign to you because you've not been in the Bible. Give your heart to Jesus today. And the Bible says when you come to him, he will save you. So if you want to do that, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And once again, you can say this prayer out loud. You can say it silently. Volume doesn't save you. What saves you is sincerity, a sincere heart. So you can repeat this after me. Hey, if you're backslidden, say this prayer with me. Come back to Jesus. Come home. If you're online, sitting at home, and, and you're watching this, or maybe sitting in your car, or maybe you're far away, and, and, and uh, you're watching this online, then you know what? Right where you're at, bow your heart and say this prayer. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And right now, I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you this morning for dying for me. And now I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, Come into my life and guide me. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.